You know, I, I put props up here on my um, stand to remind me of things, and then I look at them and forget them. Um, I just want to remind you, we continue to collect throughout the year boxes of cereal that uh, each month we deliver to the food pantry. And so when you're at the store, I just encourage you to pick up an extra box or two of cereal, uh, bring them to the church and drop them off. And we will continue to help the food pantry have plenty of supply of cereal for uh, folks in our community. And then um, also I just remind you that uh, we continue... um, Um, to not do an offering plate, and so you're reminded to fill out the attendance cards and uh, the uh, giving envelopes which are um, in your uh, seats, and so I encourage you to do that. Uh, They are in the back. This week is um, is, uh, Peace and Justice Week um, Sunday. Uh, Throughout the year, there's several special Sundays in the Methodist Church, and um, you'll have a special envelope, and I like to always encourage folks... um, If everybody were to take a dollar and to put it in this envelope and then drop it in the back, if every Methodist uh, family did that, uh, we would have plenty of money for uh, justice and peace ministries. And so I encourage you to participate in that this day. Um, And hopefully in the future, I'll remember what these are for. I probably should lay this down or something. Somebody might get hungry looking at that box of cereal. Um. So, um, and then the offering plate is, is back on the um, table um, in the back, and so you're invited um, as you leave to drop your, both your attendance sheets and your tithes and your offerings there um, so that um, you can continue uh, to participate in the ministries of the church in that way. You know, um, I, 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 like, uh, I, I like movies like Men in Black. Any of y'all see Men in Black? I wish sometimes I had the pen that they had that you could hold up and say, okay, now everybody stare at this, um, and then when you stare at it, uh, um, just a certain aspect of your memory could be wiped away. Um, In reading of Genesis, sometimes I wish I had a magic pen I could hold up and say, I want you to forget everything that you've been told about Genesis um, so that you might hear these ancient stories afresh and anew, because I think sometimes... We have heard these stories so often, and they've been told to us in certain ways that we fail to actually hear the story that is in Scripture. The, the, story, uh, uh, the story of the flood is one of those. It's one of the most familiar stories in, Bible, in the Bible. It's probably used at a VBS every year somewhere where we talk about the flood and we talk about Noah. Uh, And usually when we tell the story, we tell it in such a way that it's a story about judgment. We tell it in a way uh, that as we read the story, we say uh, that the world was just all messed up and God got mad and so he decided to have a, a, a flood and if it weren't for good old Noah, none of us would be here. Uh, and uh, way too often that is how we hear the story. Well, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks unpacking the story of the flood. Uh, This week, we're going to look at the uh, conditions that led up to the flood, and we're going to look at God's response, and then next week, we're going to look at the other side of the flood. But I want to suggest to us, as we hear the story, that the story of the flood is not really a story about judgment. Okay? Okay? 
And, and I will highlight this later, but if you read the Scripture, it's also not a story about God getting angry. In fact, do you know the first time in the Scripture where, God, where, where we hear about God getting angry? Anybody know the first place in Scripture where, where we read about God getting angry? It, it doesn't even occur in Genesis. It doesn't occur until the book of Exodus. So um, I was going to tell you where that is, but um, instead I'll give you homework again. You go home and read the whole book of Exodus and find the three times in Exodus where God gets angry. Okay? Now, not many of you did your homework last week, or if you did, you didn't, you didn't let me know and send me emails and texts. So uh, this week, you're invited as you go through Exodus and you find these uh, to text me and say, hey, I found them, and tell me where they are. Okay? Anybody going to sign up for that? I know school's out and you don't think you need to do homework anymore, right? Nope. <laughs> uh, at least she's honest, right? Uh, it's okay, Stacy. <laughs> Dan, it's really okay. Um, t- and so today I want to invite us to, to hear the, uh, the part of this story afresh and anew. Um, and so I, I'm actually going to read from Genesis beginning or in Uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, and then um, we'll take a closer look at this, Um, and um, we'll we'll hear some of the backstory to this also. But beginning in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 5, the story of the great flood, this is what we read. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on earth, and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. The Lord regretted making human beings on the earth, and he was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off of the land the human race that I've created, from human beings to livestock, to the crawling things, to the birds in the sky, because I regret I ever made them. But as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. These are Noah's descendants. In his generation... Noah was a moral and exemplary man. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. In God's sight, the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God saw that the earth was corrupt because all creatures behaved corruptly on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them along with the earth. And then the story continues where God gives Noah instructions for building an ark, and we're told that Noah does so. This whole first section of Genesis really is a description and an explanation of what has happened in the world. And so I think it's good for us to uh, to step back and to think about the story up until this point. I mean, what has happened? How have we gotten to this point? We've been told in the early chapters of Genesis, right, that God shaped and formed human beings in God's own image. He created humans. He created all that exists so that we might commune with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this community of love. 
He created humans to be God's representatives uh, um, as part of creation, to be a people who govern and care for the earth. He blessed them and he commissioned them uh, to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth with goodness and beauty uh, so that all of creation might live in harmony with God and with one another, so that all uh, of creation might flourish. This is the purpose for which uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, shared their creative energies to bring this world into order out of chaos. And we're told that God now, He looks down upon this creation that He created to be good and beautiful, to be a place where humans might flourish. And he looks at creation and he sees that it has betrayed or that it has failed to live into this vision, into this dream, into this purpose that God had for creation. Humans have used the freedom that they gained when they, when they took that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, when they uh, got this ability to discern good and evil for themselves. They have used that ability to make poor choice after poor choice. Such that when God looks down and it, and it says God sees evil everywhere, God sees what is not good now. And if we pay attention to, to the story, uh, God has bestowed His grace upon Adam and Eve when they uh, failed to um, keep the one boundary that uh, He had given them. Uh, God bestowed His grace upon Cain even after He killed Abel and complained about how bitter His punishment was. And humans' response to God's grace, rather than turning back to God as it's intended to do, humans continue to go their own way, thinking that they know better how to create the world, that they can do it without God and without God's guidance. What God created to be good and shaped in His own image has now been reshaped by humanity. It's been reshaped by humans, and now all is bad rather than Good, at least as God looks down, it is not as God intended. Rather than caring for creation so that it might flourish, humans have corrupted, or, the, or a better translation probably for that Hebrew word, is that humans have ruined God's world. And everywhere God looks, He sees ruin. Because humans have filled the earth with devastation and destruction and even death. And then we're told, I didn't read the passage in chapter 6, the first four verses, but there's another story there of this strange thing that happens about sons of gods and daughters of men. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to determine who this is and what's going on. I mean, what is certain is that some boundary has been crossed. But in reality, if we pay attention to those first verses, what we see is rather than filling the earth with offspring who are the image of God, 
Rather than filling the earth with images that live in harmony with God, apparently the earth is now uh, filling the earth, that, that people are now filling the earth with offspring that multiply violence and conflict. I, I mean, they become so addicted to violence, so addicted to conflict, that now they, they try uh, to um, uh, manage their offspring. It, it's like um, cloning or whatever. I mean, I mean it's like genetics uh, way back. Um, they now try uh, to have offspring who will be mighty, powerful people. And in fact, they seem to be good at this. It tells us that there are uh, heroes, renowned people, people of great might have filled the earth. It seems that humanity is bent on filling the earth with violence and conflict rather than filling the earth with harmony and peace and love. If we paid attention to the story, we see how humanity has resisted God's warnings not to allow this inclination toward hatred and violence to, to control us. We see that in the story of Cain and Abel, and yet, just like Cain, we give in to the inclinations. Humanity gives in to these inclinations, and violence and conflict continue to be perpetuated in all the earth. God looks down at the earth. And, and, and you know, I, I find it interesting for all of, of our um, concerns about sin, uh, morality, and all of that. Here in Genesis, it seems to me, if we've paid attention to these first six chapters of Genesis, sin is almost exclusively linked to violence. It's almost exclusively linked to human beings perpetuating violence and killing one another. And so as God looks down at the earth, He sees violence, chaos, death, destruction, everywhere He looks. It's as if humanity is so resisted God that not only have they refused to be the caretakers, not only have they refused to be the images, not only have they refused to be God's children, they have chosen a way that is completely opposed to God's intentions in creation. They are not moving towards God's purposes. They are not seeking to form and to shape a world in which there is harmony, in which all of creation might flourish. Instead, they are creating and shaping a world in which everyone seeks to have their own way, in which people perpetrate violence upon others so that they can have power and control. And so this story really tells us that what is happening here is God, God is faced with a major crisis. What will God do? This world, this earth, this people, this creation that he has formed and shaped is headed nowhere toward God's purposes. No wonder we as humans at this point in the story insist that God gets mad and angry. 
Because that's what we would do, isn't it? We would get mad and angry when things do not go according to our purposes and our ways. But what does Scripture say? Nowhere. I looked at 20 different translations. None of them say God gets mad and angry. And yet, I will tell you, if I were to ask you what happened in that story, I've done this over and over in other congregations, more than 50% of you would tell me that God got mad and angry and that's why the flood occurred. Why is it that we hear this story in this way? What is it that we get this vision of an angry God in our mind and we read it back into all kinds of stories where it does not exist? The, the, the scripture very clearly says God regretted having made humans and he was heartbroken. Where the Hebrew word says God's heart was filled with pain. God's heart was filled with pain. You see, the story has nothing to do with God being mad and angry. It tells us as God looks at this world which is headed in the direction that he did not desire, that God is heartbroken. He's like a loving parent. This loving parent uh, that, that, that with deep pain and sorrow looks upon uh, the children, looks upon the creation that he has created and that haven't, not only haven't uh, grown up into the vision and the dreams that he has had, but in fact have gone 180 degrees. He's done everything that he can to try to get their attention, to try uh, to bring them back into communion with God, and nothing has worked. And all they seem to do it is destructive behaviors which continue to bring devastation and death into the world. And God's heart aches because he had hoped for so much more. You see, this story uh, is not a story of the spur of the moment, fly off the handle, haphazard, capricious act uh, of a God who is filled with rage and revenge. It is not there in the story, even though that's what we often hear. It has been a slow and reluctant movement of God that has brought him to the point where he is. God is deeply saddened. In fact, the word regret that is there, the Hebrew word actually has two connotations. It means God is, is sorry. But it also means that in that sorrow, God is committed to, to changing directions, to doing something different, uh, to, to create something so that he might get a different outcome. God is deeply saddened, and yet he is determined to continue to work with that which he has created so that there might be an earth in which all creation and humanity might flourish. And so I think if we read this story carefully, what we actually see here is that God looks down upon the world 
with sadness and sorrow. He sees what these creatures he has created have done to the world, the ruin, the devastation, the violence that they have brought. He sees where this is headed into the future, and he knows without some intervention that it will continue to be a world filled with pain and violence. And it's as if God looks at the world and almost says in this deep sense of sorrow, okay, if that's the direction that you want to go, let me just hasten it and accelerate it so that the ruin might be complete and we can get on. We can get on in shaping something that is more harmonious and loving. And so it's as if, if we paid attention to the creation story, it's as if God unleashes the chaotic waters in ancient time. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but in ancient time, people were afraid of the waters. They thought the whole earth was surrounded by waters, that there was a dome in the sky that held back the waters from above, and that there was this uh, terrain that held the waters from below, and that's all that preserved them. It's as if God says, if that's what you want, Fine, I'm just going to let the chaotic water that existed in Genesis 1 overtake you once again. I'm going to let you experience the world that you seem bent on creating. Do you get a sense of God's great sadness and sorrow as he looks at this world he created in love and comes to the conclusion that the only way to cleanse it, the only way that it might become the creation he intended it to be is if the majority of it is wiped out and he starts over again. Can you feel his anguish and his sorrow as he looks at a world that he intended to be a place of love and sees nothing but violence. The flood, I, I challenge us, uh, rather than seeing this flood as this raging river of anger, that the flood is more like the huge teardrops of a god who hurts, a God who feels the pain that his creation, that his children are not only not what he intended them to be, but they are perpetuating violence in the world. It is a flood of tears that overcomes the earth. Now to this point in the story, the story has led us to believe that God is going to wipe out all things. And yet, I see the same God in his sorrow and his sadness. I see him searching all the world that exists. Is there not one person who will hear my voice and trust me and respond so that this earth might be as I intended it to be? And apparently in that search, his eyes came upon Noah. Next week, we'll unpack Noah and his response. 
But, but you, you, you get this vision of God searching the world until he finds a person who he is confident that will respond to his grace in the way he intended and will turn things around. You see, this story is not about God's judgment. It is not about God's assault on the world. It is not about a God who stands above the war world with no feeling, uh, just meeting out judgments based on whether people obey him or not. It is a story about a God who deeply cares, a God who is invested in this world, who is invested in our lives, who is invested in all of creation. When he sees the world go in directions that he knows will call harm and destruction and devastation, it causes him to hurt and to grieve. And yes, sometimes it will cause him to get angry, just not in this story. It causes God to keep searching and lurking for people who will trust him. See, this story is a reminder that no matter how bad things get, and trust me, you know, sometimes we, we, we get in our heads sometimes, or we can imagine what the world must have been like in Genesis 6. It must have been like our times, because always the times we're living in are the worst times, right? I, I, I think the times, they, they were so much more worse than we can even imagine. And yet God refused to give up. God was not about to allow human rebellion to overcome his plans to create a space and a place where humans and all creation could live in harmony with God and one another. We see in all of Scripture God's commitment to making this so. Indeed, God is all about looking and searching for people who will work with him to make a world in which all humanity might flourish. So as we hear this story today, may we be reminded of the God who is intimately involved and cares about our world. A God who does have limits, but a God who keeps searching and seeking for people who will hear and listen to his voice. A God who abhors violence, a God who seeks to reach out to find people who will walk with him. May we, may we this day commit to listening to God's voice afresh and anew. Amen. Gracious God, Pour out your spirit upon us. Help us to overcome this vision that we have of you as being an angry God who is constantly upset and instead see you as a loving parent who, though saddened and hurt, continues to want and to work for the best of humanity and your creation. In Christ's name, amen.